Drew Timmy and Julian Strother both had their measurements and agility tests done at the NBA Draft Combine. Were they able to do anything to help boost their draft stock? We'll tell you all right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Well, Gonzaga and UConn are set for a two-year series. We're going to tell you more about that, where they're playing, when they're playing, all that good stuff coming up to close out the show. But first, we are talking about each of Julian Strother and Drew Timmy. We got the results of their NBA combine testing, their height, their agility, their sprinting speed, all of that good stuff. We're going to go through it each one by one, discuss what it means for them, what it means for their NBA draft aspirations. We're going to start with Drew Timmy, and we'll, we'll kind of talk through this as we kind of go along through this process. But of course, I think because these testing numbers are kind of more palatable for people to consume and understand, it's easy to see when a player has a not very good sprint speed or a smaller standing reach than you might expect, or uh, we didn't get body fat percentage numbers, but that's one that's very easy for people to understand. I think what kind of happens is as we're two months away from the end of the college basketball season, and for people who really love to gobble up draft content and uh, NBA fans, college fans, G League fans, whomever it may be, these results end up getting really overblown because it's the first new pieces of data that we have on these guys in months. It's the last time we've seen, it's the first time we've seen any of these guys play or seen them, uh, their testing results compared against each other ever in, in a lot of cases. And certainly it's kind of the first piece of data we have that's new for a long time. So it ends up kind of, and sometimes it really, really rises a player's draft stock. Sometimes it really, really hurts a player's draft stock. And sometimes those things are, are, a bit unnecessary. Sometimes those results don't necessarily matter as much as maybe the general public thinks they do because people are just so starved for this content. It tends to create some pendulum swinging a little bit too far in either direction, but these numbers do matter. And there is certain, certain numbers matter a bit more depending on your position, depending on your perceived skill set, depending on the things that coaches and general managers and scouts already want you to work on. If some of the stuff that you need to show improvement in is stuff that you're testing maybe makes it like if you're a rim protector and you have a pretty bad standing reach, like those are the kind of things that are going to matter more. Whereas if you're a six foot, you know, Marquise Noel standing reach doesn't matter all of that much. For example, like it, it kind of ebbs and flows. So we'll start here with Drew Timmy. Kind of want to just go through some of the results here. The first result is one that I think may be more alarming to people who are not expecting it, uh, which is his height without shoes, which is six foot 8.75. So Drew Timmy is not a six foot ten center or a six foot eleven center. Uh, again, without shoes is—I don't want to say irrelevant, but he's not going to play a basketball game without shoes on. I guess we can put it that way. But still, he's under six nine, and so I think that you know you're not looking at Drew Timmy necessarily as a rim protector. You're not necessarily looking at him uh, as a guy who needs to be like super huge because his skill set is more finishing around bigger guys, through bigger guys, things like that. But I can't. I mean, if we're being honest you'd want to see this bigger. You'd have wanted to see six foot 9.75. Like that would have made you feel a little bit better. Six foot, just under six, nine. 
I, I can't imagine that has helped him too much at this stage uh, in his draft process. Uh, his standing reach width is nine foot point five, which is solid. His wingspan, however, we talked about the standing reach, uh, or we talked about the height not being great, but he does have a seven foot one point seven five wingspan. So he's a quarter inch away from a seven foot two wingspan, which that is going to that kind of helps mitigate some of those size concerns. Maybe he's not as tall as scouts were hoping for uh, or, or people were expecting him to be, but him being having the reach that he does and having the ability to having the wingspan that he does definitely helps kind of curtail some of those concerns. Uh, let's get into some of the testing stuff. The first one for him was the lane agility time, which was 10.93 seconds. Uh, that's a very solid score for him there. 16th overall uh, out of the 50 plus guys who did this test, sixth among centers and power forwards. That is huge. This is the single most important, not important, but this is the best result that Drew Timmy got out of this entire combine. The wingspan is probably right up there, but the lane agility time being sixth among centers and power forwards, really huge. You look at his skill set and you look at the things that scouts and general managers are going to want to see him improve upon. Lateral mobility, hedging screens, kind of being able to defend in space. Those are issues for Drew Timmy right now that, that are seriously curtailing his NBA draft stock. Like that, that's the biggest reason that teams are kind of down on him is can he, is he going to be a complete liability defensively? His lane agility time being this good relative to his peers at the NBA draft combine is very significant. Does it mean that he's magically going to be a good defensive player in the NBA right away? Not necessarily, but it certainly gives teams more optimism that the athleticism is not at a spot that is uh, kind of untenable for him to improve in this area. He did not participate in the shuttle, run, the shuttle run, excuse me. So his next result was the three-quarter sprint speed, 3.34 seconds for him to get from free throw line to the opposing baseline. That was 41st and 15th among centers and power forwards. So uh, most of these tests had about 25 or so center power forward combinations. So he was 15th out of about 25. Not great, not horrible. I think a lot of people would have looked at Drew Timmy as a player. They might have projected to finish last in this group, if we're being honest. Not saying that's what I would have projected, saying that that's what others out there who would have projected. So for him to finish decently average in that category, a little below average, but not towards the end, I think is fine. I don't think that's a result that matters a huge, significant amount because I don't think it's all that surprising, but it is there. Now the jumps. Standing vertical leap followed by max vertical leap. Subtle difference between those two, of course. Standing vertical leap is off of two toe or top off of two feet. Max vertical leap is being able to take a step into that jump. Timmy's standing vertical leap was 26 inches. 57 players participated in the standing vertical leap at, leap at the combine. Drew Timmy finished 54th out of those 57 players. Among centers and power forwards, he finished 20th out of 22. For the max vertical leap, slightly better there. He was 30.5 inches. That was 53rd out of 57 and 19th out of 22 centers and power forwards. Drew is not much of a leaper. He's not much of a jumper. This shouldn't be a particularly shocking result, although it is hard to say that uh, it, uh, disappointment is probably not exactly the right word, but like 
it's not great to finish towards the bottom of this group. I, I think for a player who's maybe an inch, inch and a half shorter than I think the expectation was than the way that he has been listed throughout his college career, followed by not having particularly great leaping ability. Again, nobody was circling Drew Timmy on their draft board as, hey, this is a guy we think who can come in and protect the rim for us. That's not his skill set. But even from like a rebounding perspective, I think there's a little bit of concern of, hey, can this guy who's closer to 6'9 than 6'10", uh, come in and, and be a viable rebounder for us? Is he going to get killed on the offensive glass? Is he going to be able to, you know, to help us get out and transition uh, on the glass? And and I, I can understand there being a bit more concern about that with uh, some limited jumping abilities. Um, some okay sprint speed stuff, I think, helps. Again, the lane agility helps a lot because you're not expecting Drew Timmy to be, you know, leading the fast break at the NBA level, but you do expect him to defend in space. And he uh, at least has shown from an athletic standpoint that he might have more to offer in that area than perhaps previously indicated. But the leaping isn't going to be a big strength of his. Uh, so that's just Again, not something that should surprise anybody at this combine who's probably been studying Drew Timmy for a couple of years now, at least in some capacity. So, again, for Drew, these numbers were never going to be, you know, we're never going to pop off the page. It was unlikely he was going to finish top five, top 10 in a whole lot of categories. Uh, so I don't think we should be overly shocked by any of this uh, for his chances of making the NBA. It's, it's proving that he can defend in space in the scrimmages. It's proving he can knock down threes in game competition because him knocking them down in practices, uh, which he did. He knocked down 12 out of 25 in the three point shooting drill. 48% last year was 16% in that same drill at the combine this year. He was 48% scouts still want to see him do it in games. They still want to see him do it in games. He did it against UConn twice. That was huge that he knocked down those threes in those games, but we still need to see him do that in-game action. If he can do it in the scrimmages, that's going to help further his draft stock. But right now, I think those concerns about the floor spacing and overall defensive ability are, are what are keeping him being a, a low second-round pick at best uh, as we look at mock drafts a month or so away from the actual NBA draft. Well, Julian Strother tested really well at the Combine last year. But this year's results created more questions than answered. We're going to talk a little bit more about that after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Grand Slams, no-hitters, and double plays are back, and there is no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now new customers can get can step up to the plate with a new sweat, no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you do not win. Maybe you Zag fans want to bet on Marco Gonzalez to keep getting wins for the Seattle Mariners, or perhaps you want to bet on Eli Morgan to get a save for the Cleveland Guardians. Either way, don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you go to FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, folks, I want to thank all of you for making Lockdown Zags your first listen every day. And for you everyday listeners, this week on the show, we're going to continue to take a look at some transfer portal stuff. We're going to look at the WCC and how the league has collectively done in the transfer portal. We'll take a look at some players the Zags could continue to add to this roster as they have a handful of spots still available. And we'll, of course, continue to keep you updated on 
Drew Timmy, Julian Strother, Anton Watson, Malachi Smith, the stay decisions, the go decisions, what that means for the Zags next season. For right now, we are going to continue our NBA draft combine measurement conversation. We talked about Drew Timmy in the first segment. Wingspan was productive. Lane agility time was very good. Rest of the testing results, eh, not so great for Drew Timmy, but nothing that I think is overly concerning. I want to talk about Julian Strother now going through those same numbers. For Julian, again, the height was a little bit surprising. He was listed without shoes at exactly six foot six. I think he was listed at 6'7 throughout the season. So again, not shocking to see him down a little bit lower than that. His standing reach was 8'9". Kind of love to hit 9' foot on that if you can, but I don't think that's horrible for him. And his wingspan was better than his height at least. That's always the measurement there is you, uh, you don't want to have a wingspan that is less or at your same height. It was actually a big part of the reason that Brandon Clark uh, somewhat not smartly fell in the NBA draft all the way to 21st was because he was 6'8 with a 6'8 wingspan. And there was concern that his uh, shot blocking ability wouldn't translate because of that. For Strother, he stands 6'6". Six six. His wingspan is 6'9.25". Again, he's not really asked to be a rim protector, but you do want to see that length in terms of being able to, to be more disruptive on the defensive end of the floor, knock away some more passes, that kind of stuff. Lane agility time for Strother was 10.94 for the record, slightly below what Drew Timmy posted in the same category. That puts him 18th overall and 5th among small forwards. I specifically only looked at Julian Strother as compared to other small forwards. Uh, he's a he's kind of a hybrid guy. Maybe he could play some small ball four at the next level, maybe even play some two the way that Corey Kispert, somewhat surprisingly, has done for the Washington Wizards. But I felt like comparing him strictly across small forwards was going to be a little bit more advantageous. Uh, looking ahead, he did do the shuttle run at 3.46 seconds. And folks, that was dead last. Dead Last, 19 players ran the shuttle run, so it was a smaller sample size. Most of the other events had 50-plus players participate. 19 guys did the shuttle run. Strother finished 19th at 3.46. 18th was 3.33. Strother was significantly worse than everybody else who participated. Again, that is an important caveat, who participated in the shuttle run. Still, that is not great. Again, Strother tested really well at the combine last year. The three-cone drill, he was one of the best. Some of those agility numbers, he was really, really good. I would imagine there's probably going to be a bit of a grain of salt here, perhaps some concern, but maybe he uh, pulled up a little early. Maybe he was slightly bothered by an injury, something like that. But being dead last by a fairly significant margin, 0.13 seconds in the shuttle run, Again, hopefully he gets a chance to retest it, or hopefully it's not something scouts are taking too seriously uh, because that's not a good result for Julian Strother. There's not really any other way to look at it. Uh, that's a bummer to see that number come up for him uh, on the screen. Three-quarter court sprint for him was 3.31 seconds. That was 32nd among all players participating, 10th among small forwards. So he's at least a top 10 player in his position group there. Uh, and then the jumping stuff, again, not great results. Not leapers in Spokane this year, apparently, between Drew Timmy and Julian Strother. Uh, Strother's standing vertical leap was measured at 27 and a half inches. That is 49th out of the 57 players who participated. Among small forwards, that is 14th out of 15. The only player 
that Julian Strother outjumped in the standing vertical leap, who is listed as a small forward, is Imani Bates, which incidentally, Imani Bates has been uh, oft criticized for some of the testing numbers that he has received this year and received in the past, kind of indicating, hey, you know, this is a, a once top prospect type kid, but uh, some of the advanced numbers, some of these just analytical athletic measurements are kind of a concern for him. So the only guy you beat is the guy who's been wholly criticized in the media for not showing up well on these testing numbers. That's not a great sign. Similar situation for the max vertical leap as well with Strother. Uh, that was 34 and a half inches for him there. That was 40th out of 57. So he did make strides in that category, showed up better as a max vertical leaper, but it was still only 13th out of the 15 small forwards with the player in last place still being Amani Bates, the player beneath him otherwise being Ray and, Ro- Ray and Rupert, excuse me, out of Toledo, a mid-major guy who got an invite to the Combine. So honestly, what this means for Julian Strother, generally not great results here. Again, I think the fact that he tested really well last year may help him in the sense that maybe there will be some, some leeway, some grace, some understanding that maybe these one-off results aren't always like, shouldn't be taken 100% as gospel. And I think scouts know that and understand that and general managers do get that but at the end of the day this is the data point that they have and the data point they have on julian strother right now is that he is below average among small forwards in this draft class or at least at the combine from a from basically every athletic standpoint he is kind of not in the top half and and, you know that's going to hurt him when you look at his perceived value right now as a shooter that that's not necessarily going away. But one of the concerns that teams have about Julian Strother right now is what he offers on the defensive end of the floor. And when you see him showing up highly on draft boards and you see like late first uh, grades on him or early second round grades, a lot of what that is is people projecting him to be a prototypical three and D wing at the NBA level. The D part of the three and D wing is the question for Julian right now. And if the testing numbers kind of point to a guy who's maybe limited in how good he can be defensively just by athletic limitations, that does make it a little bit harder to to spend an earlier draft pick on him. So I think that, you know, a lot of mocks have him in the mid second 40 to 50 range. And I think that that's probably where he's valued by most NBA teams right now. And I think that part of that is because there is some concern of like, Hey, three uh, and D wing is definitely a ceiling for him. And it's definitely an attainable ceiling for him, but the floor is a little bit lower in the sense that he might be kind of a more offense only contributor at the NBA level because some of those athletic limitations and defensive struggles that he had at Gonzaga maybe tr- make it more like he translates into a, a good offensive player, a good three-point shooter, a guy who can get to the basket if you need him to, but maybe who doesn't give you a ton on that end of the floor. And, and again, that just limits his value. We'll see how he does in the scrimmages. Again, that's going to continue to matter if he does participate in the scrimmages, if he plays better defensively uh, in those instances. Uh, if he you know, continues to hit shots well at that level, I think it'll help his stock in a significant way. I don't think these numbers are like a death sentence for Julian in any, in any capacity. Uh, it would have been nice to see him show up better from an athletic standpoint, uh, from a jumping standpoint. You would have wanted to see a little bit more from him. But if he plays well in the combine and he does well in interviews and stuff, I, I think he's going to be fine. I think he's still got a very good chance of getting drafted. Uh, if not late first, early second seems very feasible. But uh, some of these numbers do point to a guy who, who might struggle to acclimate to the speed and athleticism of the NBA more so than maybe we would have initially thought with him. 
Well, Gonzaga and UConn scheduled a pair of elite non-conference games starting this season. More on that game and Gonzaga's overall 2023-24 non-conference schedule as it begins to come together, coming up right after this. All right, segment three, still any patents still locked on Zags, and we're switching away from talking about Strother and Timmy, the two participants at the NBA Draft Combine this week for Gonzaga, and instead looking ahead to next year's schedule, because we got a report on Tuesday morning from John Rothstein of CBS Sports that says Gonzaga and UConn have agreed to a multi-year home and home series. It is a neutral site versus neutral site series starting this year in 2023-2024. The Zags will host UConn at the Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle. This will look very similar to the home and home, again, in quotes, series between Gonzaga and Alabama, where they played one game in Birmingham for Alabama and one game in Seattle for Gonzaga. That's basically what's happening here. I love these series. We've talked about them before. We had a long conversation with Kentucky about the unwillingness to actually play true home and home series. And while I do wish that we could see more opportunities where Gonzaga hosted marquee teams at the McCarthy athletic center in the kennel where their true home games do get played. I think having a marquee opponent every year in a, in a home and home and home situation where they play at climate pledge arena and they play the home game somewhere else for the other team totally makes sense. It's when it's when you have one game being played on an actual like for Gonzaga, the, the first two games of this Kentucky series, one was played at the arena in Spokane and then the other one, the return game is played at Rupp. And it's like, well, if we're going to go all the way to your house, we're going to go straight into your house. You should come to our house. And we don't need to relitigate that entire conversation of a whole bunch of Kentucky fans suddenly looking up the map to figure out that, oh, the Spokane is only a mile and a half away. It doesn't matter. You should have come to our house because we're going to your house. That's how I felt about that at the time. That remains how I feel about that at the time. But if you create a situation like this one where both games are specifically not played on the opposing or on the home team's arena, then I'm completely content with it. And in this case, Gonzaga is hosting UConn at the Climate Pledge Arena this season, likely in 2023 during the non-conference slate. And the return game will be at Madison Square Garden, the mecca of basketball. New York, New York. That is where Gonzaga is going to play UConn in 2024. That's going to be an extremely, extremely fun game. Both of them should be an absolute blast. No dates, no times have been announced yet, of course. That is going to come at a much later date as we kind of see how this schedule comes together for both teams. But this is a huge, huge home-and-home series for Gonzaga. Obviously, this is coming right off the heels of Gonzaga and UConn playing each other for the sixth time in program histories, a result that did not go well for Gonzaga. They lost 82 to 54. You all didn't need to be reminded of the score. I apologize for throwing that out there, but that is what happened in the Elite Eight as Gonzaga had their season end to the eventual champion UConn Huskies, something that has happened twice in history, in 1999, Gonzaga and UConn also played in an Elite Eight. UConn also won. UConn also finished the season hoisting the trophy. That has happened twice now. In fact, these two teams are 4-2 and two all time against each other with UConn securing four of those 
victories. Gonzaga, of course, with the other two. They've never played at, their, at each other's home arena. They've played each other six times in history, and every single one of those games has been at a neutral site. That will continue for at least two more years. Very fun to get this game scheduled right after that Elite Eight game. These two teams are two top 10 teams going into the next season, most likely. Two teams that should compete for another Elite Eight run next year, Final Four run. UConn, of course, looking to defend their national championship from last year. Uh, and UConn's got some decisions that they're waiting on right now to see what this roster is actually going to look like. Uh, Jordan Hawkins is in the NBA draft process. I don't think there's a lot of expectation that he is going to return to school. Andre Jackson and Adama Sanogo, of course, the most outstanding player of the NCAA tournament last year. Those guys are in the draft process, and there's a lot more question. Both those guys could return. Both those guys could stay in the draft. They're kind of similar to the Anton Watson, Malachi Smith situation right now, where it's a little bit less certain what they're going to do. Hawkins is almost certainly gone. He's more like Julian Strother, where you don't think he's coming back. But Jackson and Sonogo could both offer huge reprieve for UConn were they to return. Now, UConn does have a, a, a center who's going to start next season, Donovan Klingon, who was their backup this last year. And it's sort of a Drew Timmy, Philip Petrusev-like situation where Sonogo, if he doesn't come back, UConn fans are going to be like, oh, no, we're going to miss you. But also, we kind of have a guy who's ready to take on that mantle the way that Timmy did when Petrusev left. So I think UConn's going to be in really good shape next year. There's a reason that uh, we have them listed on Lockdown College Basketball as a top I think both of us have them in our top three for our preseason rankings as of right now. So I think a team that's expected to be uh, really in the hunt to repeat as national champion. So great for Gonzaga to get them on their schedule, a schedule that's coming together really nicely, I might add. Here's what we know right now definitively on May 16th about Gonzaga's 2023-2024 non-conference schedule. We know they are playing UConn at the Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle. That's, of course, the game we just talked about, the game that we just got ironed out Today on Tuesday as we're recording this, we know they're going to play at Kentucky at Rupp Arena because that was part of that six-year series that Gonzaga and Kentucky agreed to last offseason. We know they're going to play in the Maui Invitational, which means they will play some combination of the following teams, Kansas, Marquette, Syracuse, Tennessee, UCLA, and of course, your always host of the of the Maui Invitational, Chaminade. So Gonzaga's got some really good games scheduled at that tournament. They, of course, got Kentucky and UConn. We know they're going to play Washington as they have started to re, uh, to re-up that series every single year this year. That's going to be in Seattle. So two games in Seattle this year, one against UConn, one against Washington. Uh, we got Maui, we got Kentucky. There's more left to be had on that schedule, whether it means that the Zags try to find another way to play somebody like Baylor again or Alabama, or if it's not them, maybe it's another marquee opponent similar to that. We've seen them schedule home and homes with the likes of Creighton in the past. Would they be willing to do something with, say, Arkansas, a team that's really built up a, a tremendous uh, amount of uh, worth on the basketball court in the last few years? Um, there's some other really fun opportunities out there, and we'll do more kind of schedule guessing schedule dream building whatever it may be i think it'd be fun to play florida with todd golden at the helm there of course we've always wanted them to see we've wanted to see them play arizona i'm not sure if they're quite ready to do that yet but that's when that could eventually come down the pipeline of course they'll have some more um, low-key regular games locally maybe it'll be idaho eastern washington northern arizona teams like that teams that nobody gets super excited about but that are a vital part of filling out your schedule every single year so we'll continue to keep you updated as we learn more about what gonzaga's schedule is going to look like but 
at if nothing else, UConn and Kentucky, tremendous start to what should be another really, really fun non-conference season for the Gonzaga Bulldogs in 2023. All right, that's going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out the show wherever you already get podcasts and to find us on YouTube if you have not done so yet. Just go to youtube.com, search Locked on Zags. You can hit that big red subscribe button to find us every single day. I want to thank, out, thank all of the everyday listeners. You all know who you are. Shout out to each and every one of you who make this show your first listen every single day. You can continue to do so again wherever you find podcasts. You can leave a review on iTunes if you have not done so yet. Give me a follow on Twitter below on the screen there for those of you watching on YouTube. We got more Transfer Portal stuff coming your way this week and update around the WCC and continued coverage on the NBA Draft Combine and what it means for our guys Drew Timmy and Julian Strother. All right. Thank you all for listening. And as always, go Zags.